0: Hello, and welcome to Linux Action News, episode 248, recorded on July 6th, 2022. I'm Chris. And I'm Wes. Hello, Wes. Let's do the news. Is it time to give
1: up GitHub? The Software Freedom Conservancy seems to think so, and has launched the Give Up GitHub campaign. Writing on their blog, quote, those who forget history often inadvertently repeat it. Some of us recall that 21 years ago, the most popular code hosting site, a fully free and open source site called SourceForge, proprietorized all their code, never to make it FOSS
0: again. They go on to write that they're concerned about the size that GitHub has gotten. And now they say GitHub has succeeded at convincing all of us to, quote, promote and even aid in the creation of a proprietary system that exploits Foss. They go on to say, Quote, GitHub profits primarily from those
1: who wish to use GitHub tools for in-house proprietary software development. Yet GitHub comes out again and again seeming like a good actor because they point to their largesse in providing services to so many FOSS endeavors. But we've learned from the many gratis offerings in big tech. If you aren't the customer, you're the product.
0: I mean, they're really coming in hot. They're, uh, they're really using everything they've got full spread here. And they say that FOSS developers have been for too long the proverbial frog that is slowly boiling in the water. And they acknowledge that giving up GitHub will require work and sacrifice, but a strong stance must be taken. As such, the Conservancy is ending all of their uses of GitHub, they write. And they've also announced a long-term plan to assist FOSS projects to migrate away from GitHub. The Conservancy has also set up Give up
1: GitHub.org. And the number one reason they list on that page is Copilot being a for profit
0: product. Aha. Uh-huh. And this seems to be the crux of what currently has them upset, sort of the straw that broke the FOSS lovers back here. You see, the core concern being that GitHub used copyleft licensed software to train Copilot and is now reselling derived code from that. And many of these free software licenses specifically have provisions for derived works. And this is an issue that we've been tracking really closely on recent episodes of Coder Radio.
1: There are also an additional five reasons listed on the site that range from Microsoft's contract work with ICE, general concerns of SourceForge-style failures,
0: and ultimately, GitHub's ownership by Microsoft. I mean, it's hard to disagree with almost all their points and even the ones I kind of disagree with, I can understand where they're coming from on this. So I want to make that clear. But yet still, I can't help but feel like this is just yelling into the wind. It just gives me strong free software foundation vibes here, a relatively in comparison, small organization going up against a practically unstoppable market adoption wave being led by one of the true gorillas in the tech industry. And I'm not trying to sound like a nihilist here, but I just fear this approach is just never going to move the needle. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to disagree
1: that this blog post, this campaign, it's not going to destroy GitHub, right? I don't think any of us really expect that. But at the same time, I mean, I think it's important to think about, and I would be disappointed if the conservancy wasn't saying these things. Because even if, you know, even if it's not going to change the behavior like we might hope, I think it's still valuable to be said. Because it's worth reflecting on what we get from GitHub, which it's very valuable. I mean, it's it's done a lot of good for open source and FOSS projects. It's been a point of collaboration. It's provided free resources to folks making software for the world. But there's also been a lot of disappointments. I think especially with some of the, the co-pilot issues lately, the lack of response from Microsoft or GitHub or seeming any willingness or interest in engaging with the community's concerns here. And then you compare that to some of the behavior from, say, Amazon or others in the space, which we may not love, definitely, but seem to at least be doing a better job here. It's worth having high standards considering how much influence and money GitHub and Microsoft have. And at the end of the day, a lot of the stuff we rely on is backed by Git. And so even if we may not want to consider moving, we at least still have the option.
0: Well, we've been saying it for years now. For RISC-V to really take off with the consumer, it's going to need some developers. And to reach that average developer, we're going to need a compelling system, maybe even a Risk v based laptop, something that lets a developer build and test Risk v apps at home and then ship them wherever they might need to go. Well, a form has now opened up where you can register your interest in the Roma laptop, which is being called the industry's first native RISC-V development laptop, which is going to be built in Shenzhen, China, by two companies, Deep Computing and Excalibite. As for the specs, at least at this stage, the ROMA laptop
1: will come with a quad-core RISC-V processor, a GPU and NPU accelerator for video and AI workloads, up to 16 gigs of LPDDR4, more LPDDR4X memory, and up to 256 gigs of storage. The estimated shipping date is sometime in September. However... That's assuming the laptop CPUs become available in time.
0: I'm going to admit, there's some uh, red flaggies here already. Number one, um, kind of shooting for a September shipping date when you don't even know when the CPUs are going to be quite finished. Red flag-ish when it comes to this kind of stuff. Um, Also calling what essentially seems to be a form that gets you on a mailing list, a pre-order, red flag-ish. But what is a solid red flag on the field for me is they've had to like work in a whole NFT angle to this laptop. And not only does that feel unnecessary, but it seems to me like it taints something that was pretty critical to the adoption of RISC-V in the overall ecosystem. And they write in their press release announcing the pre-orders, quote, A Web3-friendly platform with NFT creation and publication plus integrated MetaMask-style wallet. Roma will create even more integrated experiences with future AR glasses and AI speakers operating entirely on RISC-V software and powered by RISC-V.
1: Well, whatever else that is, it's definitely a lot of buzzwords. Deep Computing and Excalibate are even trying to entice people to pre-order Roma by offering the first 100 buyers a, quote, unique NFT to mark the birth of the world's 1st Risk RISC-V laptop. Also, those lucky 100 get their name or company's name engraved into their laptop. I know, I know, there are some red flags, I agree. But uh, we've been following Risk v for a while now, so I, I had to put my quote-unquote pre-order in. Now, all I got was an email back saying, thank you for your interest. We'll be in touch to talk more about specifics.
0: We'll see what happens. Well, that's OK. That's kind of fun. I'm glad you did that so we can follow it. Um, I hope you get your NFT. Right. <laughs> uh, OK. I mean, the engraving name part, though, that actually sounds kind of cool. I got to admit that that's appealing. If only they could work in some sort of token to this whole thing, some sort of token that you get and then you stake for, for equity in the Risk v laptop. I don't know. At the end of the day, I just think this NFT nonsense is just that it's kind of marketing buzz to get more attention. Um, I don't think it's really going to make a difference in the end product, at least hopefully it doesn't make a difference in the end product. It does signal a mixed focus to me, and I think that's concerning because the core job of just building this laptop and actually shipping it and getting it out there and processing the orders and everything, especially with the supply chain in the current state that it is, that seems like a massive task requiring 100% focus all on its own, but. I think regardless, this one seems like it's going to be a fun one to watch and see where it goes. Well, if you're looking for a
1: sure bet, System76 has announced their most recent update to the Lemire Pro with
0: a 12th gen Intel CPU that continues to support the core boot firmware. It's great to see that core boot support survive multiple updates. Uh, I think that's why this caught our attention this week is just to kind of acknowledge that's that is actually reaching an accomplishment there. And this SlimWare Pro features a 14.1 inch 1080p display. It can go up to 40 gigabytes of DDR4 RAM. It has dual M.2 SSD support, Wi-Fi 6, and a 73 watt hour battery that System76 is advertising 14 hours of battery life with. Pricing starts out at 11:49 USD.
1: More details on this shiny new Alder Lake laptop can be found at
0: system76.com. Well, the story I'm personally most excited about this week is maybe only tempered by just how frustrating it's taken this long for this conversation to finally happen. This week, a change proposal was submitted to enable Raspberry Pi 4 support in Fedora 37. Yes. Yes, please.
1: For a little background context, the Pi 4 came out in 2019, and Fedora has never officially supported a single-board computer. But it seems the situation might be changing, thanks to some recent upstream work finally coming together. The Fedora team seems to have felt that it never really made sense to make the Pi 4 a major target when there was just a bunch of missing graphics functionality in the upstream
0: drivers. Yeah, the ARM platform is a tricky moving target, uh, but as time has gone on and the right code has been upstream and, and the right kernel updates have come out and Mesa and those kernel updates have come together, well, well, the upstream open source graphics driver support really seems to be getting in pretty good shape for OpenGL, Vulkan, wired networking, Wi-Fi, and even possibly audio looking pretty good these days. As a result of all of that hard work, Peter Robinson submitted a
1: change proposal for Fedora 37 that would polish up support for the Pi 4 platform. Now, this is an area Ubuntu has been far, far ahead of Fedora, and it seems like that's been a pretty big benefit for them.
0: Yeah, I saw when we worked in the training area of tech, you saw lots of uh, clusters of Raspberry Pis for Kubernetes training and experimenting with with different architectures. And of course, I've seen them in schools a lot. It has helped define the Ubuntu Mate distribution. It's helped contribute to considerable market share for Ubuntu Mate, which just had a new release this week for the Raspberry Pi. You know, on the whole, Fedora 37 itself as a release is shaping up to be a barn burner. I mean, we could have made all of Linux action news about this release of Fedora that's in the works right now. So we'll have some additional links in the show notes if you're interested.
1: Many in the Linux community were surprised this week when it became public that Lennart Pottering quietly left Red Hat earlier this year. Lennart has made enormous contributions to the Linux ecosystem over the past decade or so while being employed by Red Hat, particularly with his work on Pulse Audio and, of course, Systemd. To put it simply, Lennart has been instrumental to what we now know as the modern-day Linux desktop. He departed Red Hat for Microsoft and seems to be continuing his work on Systemd, with commits made in just the last few days. We'll follow up with any more details as we have them. And for you job seekers out there, Michael Arbel over at Pharonix notes that Microsoft's careers page currently has over 600 open jobs that mention Linux.
0: Linode.com slash LAN. Go there to support the show and get $100 and 60 day credit on a new account. Linode is the Linux Geeks Cloud with 11 data centers worldwide, and they've been hard at this for nearly 19 years, making the absolute best experience to run applications on Linux. And they are so fast. They are, I was just having a chat in the Matrix chat room today. Uh, people have been testing infrastructure for video hosting, and they tried the major hyperscalers, and they tried Linode. And Linode is just screaming fast. And I think part of it is because they are their own ISP. And they support things like MVME disks if you want super fast IOPS. They've got AMD EPIC processors if you want to go that route. And they're always adding new features. They've really learned to just keep improving over those 19 years. I mean, it's just dang impressive. Like they just rolled out Kali Linux now. Linode now has support for Kali Linux as a one-click install from their, what they call their application marketplace. It's pretty slick. And as you probably already know, this is an excellent distribution that you can use for penetration testing, ethical hacking, network security assessments, check your own cloud infrastructure. There was a period of time where I was looking at deploying something like a hosted Kali setup. So that way we could do penetration testing on my clients' networks. To be able to, to test your own network from the outside, from a super fast provider so you can really get through these tests quick, And to have it be on a blessed install by them, it's a game changer. And Linode, they're the only alternative platform out there that offers anything like this. They'll let you test your production environments, make sure things are working. And then, of course, when you're done, you keep the system or you destroy it. I love that kind of flexibility. It's a great way to do testing, too, when you're starting a new project. They also have the best customer support in the business, super fast rigs a dashboard that's super simple, an API that's well-documented and has tons of libraries ready to go. There's so many great reasons, but put it over the top. Go get that $100 in credit and support the show. linode.com slash LAN. And a big thank you and a welcome aboard to Collide. Collide.com slash LAN. Collide is endpoint security solutions that use the most powerful untapped resource in IT. And users. When you're trying to achieve security goals, whether for a third-party audit or your own compliance standards, the conventional wisdom is to treat every device like Fort Knox. Old-school device management tools like MDMs force disruptive agents onto employees' devices that slow performance and treat privacy as an afterthought. Truly one of the things I hated most about having a work-provided machine. That's the old way of doing things. and Honestly, I think it makes users hostile towards IT. Well, Collide does things differently. Instead of forcing changes on users, Collide sends them security recommendations via Slack. Collide will automatically notify your team when their devices are insecure and give them step-by-step instructions on how to solve the problem. By reaching out to employees via a friendly Slack DM and educating them about company policies, Collide can help you build a culture in which everyone contributes to security because everyone understands how and why to do it. For IT admins, Collide provides a single dashboard that lets you monitor the security of your entire fleet, whether you're running a Mac, Windows, or, yeah, Linux. You can see at a glance which employees have their disks encrypted, who has an up-to-date OS, who has a password manager installed. It makes it easy to prove compliance to your auditors, customers, and leadership. So that's Collide. It's user-centered, cross-platform endpoint security for teams that slack. You can meet your compliance goals by putting users first. Visit collide.com slash LAN to find out how. You follow that link, collide.com slash LAN. They're going to hook you up with a goodie bag too, including free t-shirt just for activating that free trial. I love me a free t-shirt. So that's collide, K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash LAN.
1: One of the many changes in Ubuntu 2204 that we were excited about was the enabling of systemd OOMD. However, it now appears that this rollout has been causing a few problems.
0: Yeah, the goal of System D OOMD is to monitor your system's memory, swap, and the pressure stall information from the kernel and attempt to take corrective action in user space before the much simpler and sometimes destructive system busting out of memory handling in the Linux kernel itself has to kick in. That can be pretty brutal. Unfortunately, it seems the configuration in 2204, well, it's just a little too good at killing processes.
1: Yeah, various bug reports and issues have been turning up of user applications being killed a little too frequently, especially things like Chrome. And to make matters worse, it appears that these terminations are happening without much notice to the user, so they're not even aware that their system is under
0: memory pressure in the first place. And I'm not really clear on how much of a facility there is to actually notify the user. Um, but as you can imagine, all of this has led to discussions in the Ubuntu community around the best path forward to address this issue without totally losing the benefits of systemd OOMD. Some of the options they considered is just you know, adjusting the default swap setup on the system or altering some of the systemd OOMD tunables that are available. Or as you might expect, They've even considered just disabling it entirely.
1: The developers have also identified some longer term plans that should help improve the systemd OOMD experience on the desktop. One of those ideas is to make use of the Managed OOM Preference option that's available in systemd service files. When this option is set to the value Avoid, well, systemd OOMD will try to avoid killing that process and only terminate it if there are no other viable candidates that could be killed instead. Now, the hang-up here is that in its current form, the managed OOM preference is only honored for Cgroups and processes owned by Root, which isn't often the case for many applications and services that we use on the desktop.
0: Yeah, and of course, it's the desktop realm where this is an issue right now. Now, a canonical developer has opened up a early pull request upstream to systemd to make this work for all users in all C groups. But while that will be good work, it's going to be a while before that trickles downstream to end users, and there's users of 2204 today that are having this problem. So for now, a bunch of developers have opted to simply tweak the configuration of Systemd OOMD via an update to no longer kill processes based on swap usage. It will, however, still rely on the pressure stall information from the kernel. It's a tricky balance to get right, but hopefully this will provide some relief for Ubuntu users and still get the advantages of something that's watching over their system and preventing it from potentially locking up. We'll keep an eye on how all of this goes, including the upstream development that Canonical's developer has submitted, and we'll let you know how it goes. We'll keep an eye on where all of this goes, including Canonical's upstream efforts and keep you posted, so don't miss a single episode of Linux Action News. Be sure you go to linuxactionnews.com slash subscribe for all the ways to get new episodes and linuxactionnews.com slash contact for ways to keep in touch. We have a lot of projects going on here at Jupiter Broadcasting this summer, and we've been chatting with some developers that are taking podcasting to the next level. Don't miss Office Hours at officehours.hair. As
1: for us, don't worry, we'll be back next week with our take on the latest Linux and open source
0: news. Thanks for joining us. That's all the news for this week.